Welcome to episode 48 of 1530. Today we're going to discuss Rafael Nadal's triumph. He won his 14th French Open title and his 22nd Grand Slam overall. So that's further distancing himself from Federer and Djokovic, who are now tied with 20 slams. But Nadal is at 22, two ahead of both of them. So pretty amazing he was able to do that. And we'll talk more about context around that. Uh, he, of course, had to play Djokovic. It was a great match. I'm not sure of the catch of it, Matt, but yeah, we'll talk about the French Open, kind of things we learned there, and we'll talk about Wimbledon as well, which is coming up soon, and good old grass court tennis in the short season that is grass court tennis. We're also going to talk about Kevin Anderson, who announced this was before the French Open that he's retiring from the sport. We're going to talk about his contributions, especially Wimbledon was one of his best tournaments there, so we'll discuss those statistics. Welcome to 1530. Now introducing your hosts, Ben and Matt. The first one I discussed, the stat of the day. Stat of the day is 13.5%. So that is the percentage based on a metric that we have here for uh, the clay court uh, warm-ups, the, the number of points that are scored. So that's Nadal's worst result um, en route. I think it's ever, but en route to still winning the, the French Open anyway. So he made the round of 16 in Rome. And only the quarterfinals in Madrid. And he didn't play in Monte Carlo or Barcelona. So his his score there, you know, each each of those tournaments, Rome and Madrid are Masters 1000s. And he was not able to score very many points, equivalent of 13.5% or really a half of a tournament, equivalent tournament one. So, you know, I have this tracker. I thought maybe it shows some predictive elements for maybe the years where Nadal didn't win or struggled more, maybe barely won the French Open. But that was not the case this year. He one in dominant fashion. He did go to, he did have a five setter against uh, Felix Ajirali, it seems, but he defeated Djokovic in four sets in the quarters and he routed Casper Ruud in the final. But I don't know, Matt, anything, anything on that stat or I guess Nadal fan, anything in general about Nadal? Uh, no, not at the moment. I, yeah, I think uh, generally your metric's been pretty good. This year seemed to be a little bit of an outlier. But um, it probably helps that he didn't have to really – well, I might say he didn't have to play a semifinal. The two sets that they did play were long. But that's uh, certainly a bonus that he had there with Severov, unfortunately, getting injured. Right. Yeah, that match was super, super tight, like mm-hmm. you mentioned. Uh, I think – wasn't Zverev? I think he was up a break in each, uh, each set and both sets. Nadal came back. Forced the tie break in the first set, won the first set tie break. For second set, ended right at six all when Zverev really badly rolled his ankle, tore yeah. some ligaments and things. So pretty yeah, much I ended the match right there. Like two holds in that second set. Yeah, there were a lot of breaks. Yeah, I think you're right. So yeah, uh, maybe fortunate for Nadal. I think you know who knows what would have happened, but probably still could have won it. But it would have been a much tougher match right. for him than just ending right there. But still, I mean, the quarterfinal that really was kind of the final against Djokovic, the big showdown, yep. it had definitely had some up and downs. I don't know how much you're able to watch or look at the momentum, but, you know, Nadal really wouldn't quit. Um, Djokovic didn't either in the, I believe it was the second set where Nadal or where Djokovic won it. Nadal was actually up a break and Djokovic came back. So there, there was definitely some good fight on both sides, but Nadal just proved to be too great, even though it was played at night where the ball 
doesn't quite uh, fly um, or stay up as high, move as quickly through the court like Nadal likes with the high top spin, but didn't matter him anyways. Just like a couple years ago when they played the French Open in the fall, and everyone's like, oh, Nadal doesn't have any chance. It's too cold. And he, you know, dominated that French Open. So kind of similar. He really, really loves this tournament, and he fought really, really hard and showed um, the championship battle beating Djokovic there. Yeah, Ralph uh, actually had. Oh, sorry. No, no, man. Because if I remember correctly, Rafa had. I think he was up two breaks in that second, and Joe came back and listed off three breaks and took the set. And um, I thought, I thought for sure, Joe was just gonna pummel him from there on out. But Rafa kept in there. Not the case. Yeah, there's definitely some good fight back and forth though. That's fun to see. Um, kind of interesting to note as well, you know, Nadal has now won the French Open, a record, way record extending, obviously, 14 times, which is kind of crazy to put in context because I know when I was first really following men's tennis, professional tennis, Federer was trying to break Sampras's record of 14 grand slams, and that was the record you got to shoot for. Now we have someone, Rafa Hilda, who's won one of the Grand Slams 14 times on its own. So it's just, you know, mind-boggling that that's that. And the, the number of times he's won the championship. And he's not done yet, you know. Um, maybe you can talk about it a little bit more. But the injections that he had to put in his foot to keep, you know, even playing. And he what did he say? He couldn't feel his foot while he was playing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think he put in, a, they put in like a neural block or something. I don't know how he moved around on the court like that without feeling in his foot. I just, I don't know. Maybe I don't understand exactly what they did or exactly what yeah. they meant by no feeling, but I, I just feel like, I mean, footwork is so critical in tennis and you can't feel your foot. I mean, yeah, shoot. I don't understand it either, but <laughs> I do understand his love of the game, you know, and love for Roland Garros in particular is maybe even greater than love for his own body. And you know, we will see how, He's got a whole life ahead of him, has all the money he needs, but yet he still keeps playing and sacrificing his, even his very own body to, to keep playing and keep winning. Yeah. So, yeah, it's amazing. Um, what else is it going to stay? Yeah, and then on the other side, so we knew Alcaraz was going to be going to be a big-time player, and, you know, he started a little slow against Varev, and Zverev was able to control the moment. I think Zverev said, yeah, I noticed, you know, once he started coming back, I knew we couldn't let it push five sets. And it did go four sets in the fifth or in the fourth, excuse me. And it was tight. Alcarez was right there, but Zverev ended up barely edging him and kind of closing him out. So interesting. Alcarez did, you know, quarterfinals is not a bad result, not a bad result, but maybe it was a little bit too soon, almost knighting him, you know, that even though he dominated on the clay this year, Grand Slam's a big, big ask, and Zverev was a good, has been a great opponent on play for, for a number of years now. So it was, it was tough, but he wasn't able to get it done, obviously. Yeah, that that third set is um, makes it a whole different match. Now, obviously, he lost the first two, and he they asked him about you know the difference between playing a slam and playing um, just the you know the ATP Masters tournaments and yeah. things in the lead up and. 
And he talked about that, but he, he put a good spin on it. Obviously he said, you know, if this were not a five setter, then I'd have been done. He said, I at least had a chance. I took the third yeah. and had a chance in the fourth and just didn't take care of it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's a learning experience and quarters is nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. No doubt. We'll see him around. Yeah, definitely. Be interesting to see how his game translates on grass. I know I think he's won the Wimbledon as, as juniors. Okay. Um, but I don't know how his results have been as of late. And I know he just lost a a tune-up match, or I guess an exhibition. You you would call it against Tiafo. Pretty lopsided, six four six two or something. It was pretty pretty one sided. So we'll see if he can find his footing on grass. Um, but obviously, he played great on hard court even before the French winning Miami. So like you're saying, he's not going anywhere. Expect him to get better, but I wonder, you know, getting getting ready for the big stage and being ready to play in these these grand slams. Something he'll need to work his way into. But yeah, he's he's been a great player to watch. Really fun to watch. So yeah, some other things from the French Open I thought were interesting was the emergence of Tillich. Uh He kind of came from nowhere, kind of forgot about him. <laughs> with with his, um, he didn't make the final. Of course, he lost it. To Casper Rude. Casper Rude became the first Norwegian player to make the Grand Slam final. So that was pretty cool to see. But Chilich, you know, he made the semifinals, uh, first time semifinals for Roland Garros. And now I think all four slams, he's been at least to the semifinals or up or beyond. Of course, he's won the US Open. He's made the final of Australian Open and final of Wimbledon. So that's, uh, that's pretty amazing that. You know, he's able to do it on all the surfaces. And it's fun watching his highlights. I feel like he was really dominating with his forehand, dictating you in some inside out. I don't really know what happened with the Carlos or with the Casper Rude match. Excuse me. That looked wasn't really sure why he struggled so much, but still hats off to Marin Chilich for, for still playing some good tennis, showing he's got good tennis left in him and really finding his game on the clay, which I didn't really, you know, think that he would go as far as he did. He beat Rublev in a fifth set tiebreak. Or even Rublev admitted it was all mental. You know, his, the emotions sometimes rules Rublev. But you know, Rublev is a player that plays pretty well on the clay, pretty well overall. So he he was able to use his experience and invest Rublev and really stay calm in the big moment. I think a fifth set tiebreak. I mean, that's what every tennis player you know dreams of playing in the the, the tough moments, and the fans really enjoy it too. But Phillips uh, was able to to win that tiebreak and and move on. So. Yeah, I think experience went out there. Yeah. Got a few more years on Rublev. But, yeah, I'm just looking here at the, the final stats and the final Casper Root against Sandal. And that was kind of my initial thoughts going in. He's just definitely overmatched. Not that Casper Root is a bad player, but I just feel like he just doesn't really have the weapons. His forehand can get going, but I just don't think he can kind of hit winners off any angle of the court. He definitely rallies the ball a little bit more, and, and then Hall can definitely take advantage of those rallies when the ball kind of sits up a little bit and from what i watched to the final it was uh maybe the maybe the the first couple sets were, were maybe closer than the score appeared but rockwood really just dominated and the third set of course is a bagel that was it was pretty complete domination looks like from the stats you know nadal 82 percent first third points one you know so not getting any looks on that first serve second serve was 45 percent but uh, Casper was only able to win 31% of his second serve points. Ooh. And it all first serve percentage was pretty high. It was 61%. So Casper's just not getting many looks there. Uh, Nadal was completely controlling the rallies. 
His forehand looked great, too. That was the other thing. If Nadal's feeling that forehand, he can hit it up the line. He really gets you on the cross court as he uh, you know, continues to wear you down and find those angles. I mean, he was hitting some crazy winners for sure. Yeah, it was it was a clinic. Yeah, definitely a clinic. Yeah, I don't think there's anything too interesting otherwise. We'll close with the net about 22 times, looks like. Nadal 77% to 57% for Casper. Yeah, Nadal's really good as well when he can, you know, finish the point at the net. Sometimes we forget how good he is at the net when he's hitting some of those finishing volleys, but he's got great touch when he does go there. And that's a great percentage for for winning the volleys. Yep, I'm hoping that we see more of that in Wimbledon. Him being more aggressive and trying to end points earlier. Yeah. Taking it to the net. Well, speaking of being aggressive, too, looking here at the serve numbers, only one ace from Nadal, which you know, I don't expect him to ace a lot, especially on clay, but Casper Ruud, zero aces. He just doesn't have the firepower. You need yeah. you know, someone like Zverev where they're going to get, you know, a dozen aces or something, you know, put up some sort of resistance where you can maybe escape from a break point, but Kafarud, he's not a super tall guy. Um, and so then that means if he's not going to get some good cheap points off the turf, he's going to have to win them off the ground, which, yeah, maybe on a hard court, but not on a, not on a clay court against the doll. So I just really didn't feel like he had much of a chance, but also, you know, made in grand slam final. Maybe some nerves there, but still excited for him. And he's a great clay court player, great tennis player, but just overmatched against you know, the all, one of the all-time greats or the all-time great on clay. So I mentioned we got grass court season coming up here. So who do you got? Who do you got for Wimbledon, Matt? I, I, I picked the wrong people for the French. I said, oh, probably not the dolls here. He's looking rough. Alcarez, maybe, maybe Djokovic. Both guys lost in the quarters. Who do you got for Wimbledon? Who are, who are your favorites, at least? Man, that's a good question. Let me. And I'll tell you who Ultimate Tennis Stats has, and we can see if we agree with them or not. What are the draws? Well, first of all, you first of all, you know who a couple wild cards are given to, right? One no. to a former uh, Wimbledon champ. So Murray has a wild card. Not yeah, surprising. And then his, his ranking slipped a lot, but obviously he's a he's a favorite from the Brit. Um, Stan Wawrinka, not a great. Uh, Grass court player, I think his best results the quarters, but he has he has a wild card, which is great. Oh, do they not have the forecast yet? Which is oh, that's weird. I don't see one here for ultimate tennis stats, but I'll tell you, I think the favorites are. So any uh, any thoughts on favorites? Um, I'm sure Joke is going to be up there. It wouldn't uh, it wouldn't surprise me honestly if uh, Agraliusime. I think doesn't he usually play pretty well on grass? Uh, I, think, I think so, yeah. I think even last year he did. He had a pretty good result. I don't remember if it was quarters or semis, but I think he had a good result. And then Berrettini. Oh, yeah, Berrettini, definitely. Oh, yeah, and we should tell the listeners if they don't know, right? So Wimbledon, with the war going on in Ukraine, they have said no Russian or Belarusian players to, are able to play at Wimbledon this year, even if they try to say, I'm under, I'm under an independent flag or not, not going to play underneath the Russian flag like I think the U.S. Open is allowing players to do. They can still play. So Wimbledon is a straight-up ban. So that means number one player in the world right now is Medvedev. Um, not that he's the best on grass, but he's been getting better. He cannot he's even go to Wimbledon. Solid, yeah. yeah, yeah. And Rublev not the best, but he's he's no slouch either. Uh, Rublev won't be able to play on the women's side. There's some Belarusian players that can't play 
maybe not as many Russians, but definitely some good Belarusian players. They can't play. Uh, so then the ATP kind of retaliated because they're the ones in charge of the rankings. And Wimbledon is part of the ITF, International Tennis Federation. ATP said, fine, if you're not going to let Russian and Belarusian players play, then we're not going ex- to give any ranking points for Wimbledon. And it's up to 2,000 points, right, if you win it. So players like Djokovic, who won it last year, defending 2,000 points, even if he wins it this year, doesn't get any points, right? Uh, Berrettini made the final. He's defending a lot of points that he can't defend, even if he makes the final again. So a lot of players have decried decision as unfair, and I don't, I don't blame them, honestly. Uh, obviously not a supporter of the war in Ukraine or, or Putin, but I don't think punishing the players and you know, kind of upsetting that balance. I don't really think it's doing much good, but uh, the decision's already been made. So that's kind of what we're dealing with. So it's kind of weird, right? So Medvedev would be the top seed, but he can't be there. Zverev is the number two player in the world. He would be the next number one seed, but he's dealing with his ankle injury. I think he's having a surgery even. So he yeah. won't be able to be there. So that means the number three player in the world is Djokovic. So he'll be the number one seed, which again, he's great on grass, like an 85% win. Uh, win record on grass, which is one of the best records. I think only Federer, maybe Sampras are better. Definitely Federer was like 87%. I was looking at it earlier. So Djokovic is definitely one of the better players on grass. So I would say probably he's the favorite. And then, like you're saying, Berrettini Nadal would be somewhere in there. Both of those guys, maybe the next co favorites. From there, I'm not really sure, honestly. Titi Pass is good. Um, Zverev won't be able to play, but he'd be good. So yeah, I think from there it really opens up. Maybe even throwing a Murray low on the list, but still, he's at least a former winner. Chilich, he was playing great uh, on on clay, and he's been doing pretty well on grass. So I think Chilich could be up there. He's made a final before, but really, your top three are going to be. I think the the bookies would have Djokovic as a pretty heavy favorite, then probably Berrettini, then Nadal. I don't know. What do you think, Matt? Does that sound? I would agree with Reasonable. that. Yeah. yeah, especially with Nadal having. I mean, obviously he's going to play, and you know, but I mean, he had like a freaking ablation done on a, a bone in his foot. Like, yeah, he says he's not limping or having any pain for the first time in weeks, but still, still a factor. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, because he even said he, he didn't want to. He didn't want to make a habit of using that injection and wouldn't do it if he had to play at Wimbledon for the right. not being able to feel his foot. Like saying, I think even if he's on hundred percent, he'll play, but he's not going to go through the, yeah, the drastic measures. Yeah. Just like he did at the front. So, um, so we'll see. I mean, he's definitely a good player in grass, but he's hasn't won it since 2010. He's a two time winner, 28, 2008 and, two, and 2010, but he hasn't won it in a while, but he's still, Solid player, obviously on any surface. So. Hey, but this is this is the first time because he's only won Aussie twice, including this year. This is the first time. Then the last time he won the Aussie, he lost the French. So this is the first time we're entering Wimbledon, and he's still got a Golden Slam. True. On the table, he, he has uh, the uh, career or not career calendar slam on the table, calendar right? Slam, that's it, yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, last year Djokovic was going for it, didn't didn't make it because Medvedev. Beat him at the That's U.S. Right. and then this year, That's Nadal right. technically has a chance. Yeah, there's no Olympics. Yeah, but still, he has a chance. That's a great point. Can't neglect to say that. But uh, yeah, let's talk about Berrettini for a second. I, I was just watching some highlights from him from his run, not only at Stuttgart where he won the title, 
but then he was able to back up and defend his title at Queens. I mean, this guy, he's, he can just play. I really love not only the huge serve, the forehand combo, but he's got a great touch feel with the volleys, feel with the drop shot. He, his game is almost just suited for graph. He, uh, he just plays incredibly moves really well back in probably his weakness, but I don't, I don't feel like he lets that hurt him. He uses more slice and runs around it and things like that. So just, Press of this game, but also he's coming off of a uh, pretty bad injury. I think it was a wrist injury, some sort of injury, and he wasn't expecting to do this well. He won two tournaments back to back, back to back weeks since that uh, coming back from surgery. So pretty awesome for Berrettini. A lot of a lot of fans uh, of him. I like that. So I wanted to break down his stats, looking this year and last year, looking at his grass court numbers because they really are phenomenal. Let's take a look at those. I don't know if you have any thoughts on. Berrettini, Matt? Um, not anything outside of what you said. He seems very at home on the grass. So yeah. definitely something, someone to watch and see how he does and where he gets seated. Yeah, for sure. All right, so here's Berrettini. Oh, of course, I lost my, my thing here. But uh, let's see. We'll go grass. I'm trying to think who else. Is there anyone else we're missing on? Team is team is team playing? I know. That's what I was just about to ask. He's been... or he did he, or did he not even play the French? He might have gotten hurt again and then didn't play the French. I really feel really bad for team. I really enjoy watching him. I thought he played the French. I think he no, he played the lead ups. He played the lead ups. I feel really bad for team. I mean, at least Vavrinka, you know, he's not really winning, but at least he's able to compete. Team is just not the same. I think his wrist wrist was still bugging him. It just wasn't. Wasn't working for yeah. him. Um, you know who you haven't mentioned is, yeah, he played Roland Garros. He lost in the first round. Oh, the, okay, my mistake. Yeah. Um, who have I not mentioned? Yeah, talk to us about Kyrgios. Oh, I'm curious. Yeah, so he's going to be unseated going into Wimbledon, and he had a pretty great run. He lost. Oh, I forgot another player, Hubert Hercatch and Hala. So Kyrgios. Didn't make the final, but he made the semis, and he he lost uh, in two tie breaks, uh, or maybe it was three sets. But point is, he didn't get broken, and Hubert Hercat still won the match, and it was an incredible match. I think he did go three sets, third set tie break, and Kiro's looking really good on grass. So uh, good luck to anybody who has to face him early on. You know, be careful, Djokovic or Nadal. If you get him early in your in your uh, bracket, you could be in trouble because Nick looks great. I think he did have to pull out of Mallorca. There's another grass court warm-up, but it was mainly for, I think, abdominal strain or something because he's been playing so much. But he's like, I just want to be ready for Wimbledon. So I think it's maybe more of a precaution. But, yeah, Nick Kyrgios is looking pretty good. Uh, her catch is also looking good. His, I'm really, really impressed with the way he's um, with the way he's moving. You know, he's served pretty huge as well. That's what Nick said. He said, I can read his serve really at all. So he's serving huge, but he's also really getting to the net. Um, playing some great net game. And he is, and he can move pretty well. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with him. If you don't remember, he beat Roger Federer last year at Wimbledon and, uh, and had the bagel. I think it was a straight setter against Federer. But it was still a decent match, even though Federer was a little hobbled. Her catch earned it. And... He's a he's a great player. He's he since won Miami. I think that was not this year, but last year. Um, so her catch is really 
he's really becoming a good player. Really, I really enjoy watching him. And he could be another maybe sleeper at Wimbledon. I don't know. I don't, they, they probably wouldn't call him a favorite, but he, he might be, you know, top five players to watch there. So. Right on, right on. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Sorry, I'm still working on. So for Matteo Berrettini, loading correctly. I think his numbers, from what I was seeing, it was something like 90% of his grass court matches that he won uh, last year. I mean, I guess it makes sense, right? If you win Queens and you make it to the final Wimbledon, that's most of your matches. So just really impressed with, with the way he plays on the grass. Let me compare it to something else here. But excited for him. Hopefully he can he can play well. Um, let's let's sidebar over to Kevin Anderson. So he's one that he retired. I want to read part of the, the tweet or the thing that he sent out as far as his retirement. Thought it, thought it did kind of sum up his career pretty well. He said, I'm so thankful for the wonderful things that come my way. Purely because I was just part of the sport. As a kid, my dad used to tell me success isn't defined by results, but by the effort and sacrifice you make along the way, becoming the best you can. And I gave it my best. And I think that really does sum up Anderson. That he, he was always given his best on the court. One of the, one of the best examples I can think of this is 2018, which was Anderson's best uh, career results where he made the top five, made the Wimbledon final. In route to that, I believe it was the fourth round against Federer. He was he had to save two match points. He could have lost in straight sets. Instead, he went on to beat Roger Federer for the first time in his career uh, and beat him in five sets at Wimbledon. And he just he just never quit. And I think that was something Federer said after the match. I thought I had him on the ropes, but he just never gave up. And throughout that Wimbledon and really throughout his career, I think he really did that. He always fought. He didn't always have the most down, he had a big serve, good forehand, but the movement and the returns maybe just weren't quite there. Mm-hmm. Uh, did get better at volleys, but yeah, he uh, he was always a fighter, and he he won one of the longest semifinals Wimbledon history over Isner, where it was like twenty something in the fifth, right? I don't remember the exact score, or maybe it was eighteen. I'll look it up. But anyway, it it was an amazing semifinal that prompted the rule change. In fact, to be a twelfth a tiebreaker at 12 all in the fifth. You remember that? Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so pretty amazing that that really one match. And that led to, in my opinion, one of the best ones in finals um, in 2019, really because of him and Isner uh, playing, playing great. And actually, I think that one was also, um, he actually had a losing record, which I didn't know against, against John Isner. I would have thought it would have been. I knew they were kind of rivals from college because both of them, Anderson played at University of Illinois, Isner played at Georgia. Knew they had a kind of a rivalry from there. Yeah, so they played 13 times. The only other player he played more throughout his career was Sam Query, 17 times. Against Query, he won nine of them, so barely, you know, 53%. But Isner, he only won four out of 13. But one of those four was that Wimbledon semifinal. Amazing match. So... Just a fighter. You know, Djokovic, he only won one time out of 11 matches. Um, that was his fourth most uh, opponent. You, you know the player he never beat out of 12 times that he played him? The third most person he played? 
Kind of forgot about this player. He's, he's retired, but Tomas Burdick. Great oh. player, but I, I wouldn't have thought, you know, Anderson wouldn't have got a win over him. But yeah, 0 for 12 against Burdick. Well. Uh, Fetter, he won one time out of seven, which again, that was one time was a huge time. 2018 Wimbledon right. and having match points. So it'd been so easy. Like, ah, oh, match points. Fetter's already beaten me a bunch of times. Never beaten him. So I've beaten Chilich, one out of eight. So. You know, maybe didn't always have the results, but I definitely do agree with with his sentiment there that he always fought to the last ball and always always was a fighter. And you know, looking at his stats, you know, he only won six, about sixty percent of his matches in his career, which I'm not quite sure what the Hall of Fame cutoff is, but it's not eighty percent or whatever like Feder and Nadal and those guys are. You know, he wasn't winning basically every match, mm-hmm. um, but he was definitely fun to watch, and he definitely gave it heart. Um, I know even in the Wimbledon final against Djokovic where he lost straight sets, but despite him being so exhausted from the semis, he, he gave it his all in that one as well. And I think probably really appreciated his effort. Remember when I watched that one, uh, he made another slam final 2017 against Rafa. Um, and Rafa beat him in straights as well. But so I think honestly, for the amount of talent he had making two slam finals like, in the era that we're in, probably pretty good. Uh, yep. Absolutely. But yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on Anderson or any anything about Kevin Anderson. Oh, he had yeah, he had some good matches and it's a bummer to see him go. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize it's like, oh yeah, I guess he's playing his thirties now. I was like, yeah, he looked up, yeah, he's thirty six years old, right? Yeah. Definitely, you know. That's old for tennis, which I maybe we get spoiled with Rafa and Roger. Right. You know, trying to stick around, but he definitely remained competitive. You know, Anderson did, which is, but his best years were some of his later years, right? Just what was that? I guess four years ago now, 2018. So he's 31, 32 in his best, uh, best season. So yeah, true. A great player from South Africa. Really, though, I think did he switch flags? I think he might have been on America first and switched to South Africa, but. Kind of mixed heritage, I guess. I know his roots were definitely South Africa, but he moved to America. Gotcha. But still amazing for him. And let's see, how many titles do you have? He had like six titles or something. I think I just looked at that. I think one was in New York, not the US Open, but the I think, uh, Masters 250. Seven titles. Uh, break it down. Okay, here we go. So he won at Newport on grass, and then Vienna, uh, New York, Johannesburg, that's pretty cool, South Africa, where he's from, Delray Beach, Winston, excuse me, Winston-Salem, New York, like I mentioned, and Poon. And three of those titles came in 2018. Newport even came in 2021, last year. Wow. That's amazing. So like you said, he he remained very competitive up to basically his retirement, so. Best of luck to you, Kevin Anderson. Let's see. Did we cover everything we needed to cover? Yeah, Wimbledon's pretty much next week, right? It'll be fun to see what happens there. Do we think it's a repeat? I mean, I don't know what the draw is going to be. I think a Berrettini Djokovic final probably likely. Maybe Djokovic Nadal for lucky. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think that's probably what the what the books will will say uh, with Berrettini and Djok. But you know, I don't know. Joke's been off his rocker for most. Of the I agree. 
So I, I could see some upset being there. Maybe, you know, I don't think he really played anything between French and now. Maybe he found a way to get his mind right. But Yeah, it's possible. But at the same time, Djokovic, I feel like the times he's upset, it's not usually at Wimbledon. He yep. usually can find a good game. And he just said, he's like, I don't care about the ranking points as much. It's annoying, but he's like, I don't need any more motivation. It's still a grand slam. And Wimbledon's my dream slam, basically. So yeah. we will see. Uh, that's another Anderson match. Okay, that one was a heartbreaker for Anderson. And I wanted him to beat Djokovic. But it was one where he was up two sets to love on Djokovic. It got dark. Then the next day they came back. Oh, and yeah. I think they were already midway through that third set, maybe even like up a break. And Djokovic ended up winning that one 7-5 and then won the next two sets. So you're like, no. But again, still a fighter. You know, obviously, some of the momentum changes that happen like that with tennis happen sometimes. The rain delay, you come back, and the other guy just totally comes back and wins it. But, yep. okay, Anderson was definitely part of some memorable matches. That's for sure. Yep, no doubt. But that's all I have. Um... Please visit us at cognitionspear.com. The music is brought to us by Kevin MacLeod with excerpts from his song Cool Rock. And please share our podcast with a friend that loves tennis. And until next time, we'll see you on the court.